0: Hey guys, uh, welcome to the Bridge Montrose. Uh, hope you guys all had a happy New Year's, having a good 2016 so far. My name's Will Pritchard. Uh, I'm not the preaching pastor here, that would be Heath Haynes, but uh, I'm just a, a guest speaker for the morning. But uh, I also go to church here. Um, been here since uh, the church's inception, I guess a year and a half ago. We were planted by Grace Bible Church uh, to be here in the Montrose area. And uh, it's been really neat just to be a part of this church and be somewhere for a year and a half and have people know you well and still like you and and want to be your friend and, and love on you well. So uh, when I was asked to preach a couple months ago, Heath told me just to pick whatever topic and whatever text I was interested in and, and wanted to do and felt like would be good to do. And uh, I mean, it's it's similar to it's kind of nerve-wracking. It's, it's like if you're driving in a car with a bunch of people you don't know, and they ask you to play one song for them, and you're like, okay, one song out of a thousand, like, I'm going to get judged here. But what you do is you just pick your favorite song. And so uh, similar, I picked one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite passages. It's in Acts 17. It's Paul. He's uh, at the Areopagus, which is uh, it was a court in Athens. It was, uh, Athens was kind of the academic capital of the world. At this time and uh, this court was kind of the high court of the city and they would uh, make determinations on religious and social aspects of the city and uh, you know so a lot of Greek gods and whatever stories about Greek gods were true or false would go through this court and uh, funny enough we have Paul there eventually Uh, this is the same court that actually condemned Socrates about 400 years earlier so there's kind of a cool overlap of world history and uh, Bible history going on here. So I'll go ahead and read the text, pray, and uh, we'll get started. So Acts, I'm sorry, I'll let y'all pull out your Bibles as well. It's Acts 17, verses 22 through 34. I'll go ahead. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious, for as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, or your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear, about the, will we hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I'll go ahead and say a prayer real fast. Father God, uh, thank you for your word, thank you for your text, thank you for the book of Acts and the history of the early church, and um, Lord, I I just pray that your word would uh, shine clearly here, uh, that it would be refining to our church body, and um, Lord, that you would just uh, speak through me these next 30, 40 minutes, and um, Lord, just that we would be convicted and sharpened. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, So... I guess to give a little bit more background, uh, this is the book of Acts. It was written by Luke, who wrote the book of Luke about Jesus, and then he wrote Acts, which is kind of really a continuation. It picks up right where Luke left off, and uh, it's a history of the early church. And so they kind of follow around people like Stephen, Barnabas, and Paul. And uh, Paul here is on his second missionary journey. He was in the city of Thessalonica, sharing with the Jews there. Um, I guess he upset some high-ranking Jews. were there and uh, you know kind of similar to them just seeing this guy come in and and you know try to flip your religion on its head and say no 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 you've you've got it all wrong you know some people are going to get offended by that and so uh he had he had some jews who were out to get him in Thessalonica uh trying to kill him or put him in jail so he escaped to Berea he was with Paul and Silas so he was kind of part of a three-man crew going on this trip Uh, in Berea uh, he had a little bit more evangelical success they were listening to him. They were checking the scriptures and seeing, you know, many were coming to faith. Uh, the uh, Thessalonican Jews heard he was in Berea, heard he was, you know, converting Jews and uh, went after him there. Uh, as a result, uh, Paul, or let's see, Silas and Timothy kind of snuck Paul onto a boat and uh, sent him to Athens. And uh, so Athens wasn't part of the trip plan. And uh, and basically Paul's kind of stuck in this city until until his buddies meet up with him, and so he's really supposed to lay low, you know, he's kind of been a man on the run, and, uh, uh, you know, that doesn't happen, obviously, because eventually he gets brought up in front of this court, and so the way he gets here in the first place is um, he walks around, he starts seeing all these huge buildings that are dedicated, you know, these temples dedicated to these Greek gods, and, uh, you know, it's just, He's like, this is driving me nuts. He sees a he sees an a altar to an unknown God, and he's just compelled. He's like, I've got to talk to somebody. <laughs> because these people who are building altars to unknown gods, they need to know the God I know. And so he starts in the synagogue that's in Athens, and then he goes to the marketplace, another place that's appropriate to uh, share ideas. And then eventually, I guess, what he's talking about kind of triples up, trickles up through society. And uh, eventually, the high court wants to... Uh, hear him out, be very similar to here in Houston if, uh, you know, someone grabbed Michael, uh, you know, maybe Mayor Anise Parker and and grabbed him and said, hey, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, you're kind of an interesting guy, uh, got a lot of ideas that are pretty new, like, let's hear it and I'm going to bring my city council, you know, and so Paul's kind of thrust into the situation. And uh, so let's take a look at uh, what he says. you know, first off, he starts um, with bringing up the unknown God, the altar, what kind of compelled him to start sharing in the first place. And then he uh, he really immediately kind of sets the record straight. Uh, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything else. And so... Um, I guess in the city, this court, you know, it was kind of the smartest men in the city and really the most academic city of the world. And so I would think that this court was composed of about 30 men. And, uh, you know, they probably thought they were a big deal. They thought, you know, okay, we're the ones who make the decisions on all these stories about the Greek gods. You know, are they true? Are they false? Um, What can we believe? And uh, they loved hearing new ideas. But, you know, Paul is coming in and he's saying, okay, you guys don't determine who God is. Y'all aren't. record setters you know but instead god has revealed himself to us and mainly he's done it through christ and uh he says you know uh he doesn't live in temples built by human hands but instead uh gives all men life and breath and so he kind of flips the switch uh and says uh flips the script and uh he says okay you know you don't determine who god is you don't build these big temples for him because he's a needy god but instead you're a needy human <laughs> who he made and every single breath you take is from him. And so he's immediately kind of casting down uh, these preset notions that these people have. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's honestly, I think we have a lot of those thoughts today. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's I feel like there's kind of this idea and I'm quoting a Spanish philosopher or paraphrasing him. He lived about a hundred years ago. Miguel de Uno Muno, he said, uh, to uh, The most virtuous thing a man can do is to seek truth. And we hear that, and we like that. But then the next thing he says is, And the most arrogant thing a man can do is to assume that he's found it. And so that kind of flies in the face of uh, Christianity because we believe that Christ raised, was risen from the dead. And so if that is true, there are things, I mean, it's either true or not. Either <laughs> rose from the dead. Or he didn't. And so this idea of find your own truth and, um, you know, what works for you uh, works for you and what works for me should work for me, Uh, you know, it just, we can't both be right, basically. Paul can't be right and this court can't be right. And, you know, today's thinking of to think that you've found truth is the most arrogant thing you can say. You You know, you can't be a follower of Christ and believe the things that Christ said and then also believe that you're arrogant for submitting to the truth. Uh, moving on to really what I think is kind of the core of this is uh, is found in verse 30. Uh, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so, you know, when I see a command that, uh, you know, Paul says the times of ignorance... God once overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. When I when I see that there's a command for all people everywhere, uh, you know, you kind of want to key on key in on that and see, okay, what's Paul talking about? When I read that verse, I think, okay, like He commands all people to repent. I would make sure that I would want to know what the word repent means, <laughs> first of all, because uh, it's like, okay, all people are commanded to do it. Okay, what does it even mean? Um, And so it's found a lot of times in the Bible. Obviously, it's found in the Old Testament. Jonah uh, tells the city of Nineveh to repent, so they all start fasting. The whole city starts fasting and puts on sackcloth, and the king covers himself in ashes, and that's how they repented in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus said that I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And then he also commands the Pharisees to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so this word, to repent, um, It's a military turn, actually. It was a Greek military turn, and basically it was a marching command. And so if the soldiers were marching in one direction and their commanding officer yelled, repent, meant to do an exact 180 and start walking the other direction. And so spiritually what that means is that if we're told to repent, that means we're walking one way. We're walking away from God, and we're told to do a 180 and walk towards God. So here we see in the Bible, that, you know, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And uh, I think another key concept with that is just the the fact that um, knowing that no one is born walking towards God, that we're all born uh, having gone astray, and basically Adam and Eve, they had the choice of whether or not they were going to be sinful or not, but unfortunately, you know, as descendants of them, we don't have that choice, you know. We're not born neutral and get to decide if we're going to be sinners or not. Like that decision was made up the line, and uh, we have other decisions we can make. We have free will about plenty of things, but uh, whether or not we're going to be sinful, unfortunately, is not one of the choices that we get to make. Um, also, with repentance, um, you know, you see it. Uh, so it means to turn from living towards yourself and turn towards God, or to turn from a sinful lifestyle towards God. Um, you know, here he doesn't even call, Paul is calling people to faith. He doesn't even use the word faith. He just uses the word repentance. And then in other places in the Bible, we'll see the word faith, you know, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And um, uh, we see that and we see faith, but we don't see the word repentance. And so, you know, times we'll see just faith, at times we'll see just repentance, and then other times we'll see both put together. And so really, I would say that there are two sides of one coin To, to follow Christ, to make the decision to follow Christ. means you stop following yourself, you stop living for yourself, and you start living for Christ. And so you can't be a man of great faith, but say, oh, repentance isn't my deal. You know, turning from sin isn't my thing, but I love having faith in Christ, and at the same time, you can't say, I'm going to stop doing all these bad things. I'm going to start living for God without a faith in Christ. Um, with that defined, um, you know, let's look at Paul's passion for calling people to faith. Um, he really did have a passion. It shines here, but it shines in a lot of other places in the Bible, and uh, you know, just the fact that he's in front of this court Um, you know, it didn't start here. It didn't, you know, random people aren't going to be asked to speak in front of a court like this. And uh, it really started with, um, you know, the fact that he was walking around town and he started seeing, uh, you know, these shrines to unknown gods. And uh, if you flip your Bibles to one page back uh, to chapter 17, verse 16, it's Paul in Athens He says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw this city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. And so immediately you see him, uh, you know, seeing just how wrong people have it in this area and immediately having a burden of, you know, I've got to talk to somebody about this. I've got to share truth with people. And so, you know, what is so different about Paul is us, because, I mean, I don't, I don't go to the synagogue that often. I don't go ever in reason with the people there and, and try to point, uh, point them to Christ. You know, that's not something I catch myself doing very often. And uh, it seems like Paul, everywhere he goes, you know, if he's in jail, he's sharing with the guards. If he's uh, before a king, he's telling the king, hey, you've got to come to faith in Christ, and not only you, but everyone in this room that's listening to me. It's got to come to faith in Christ. And so, you know, what is so different about Paul and us? And, uh, you know, I I would say we believe the same things as Paul. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that um, you've never met a person who doesn't, isn't going to live for forever. I'm paraphrasing him. But basically, you know, every single person in this room has a soul. Every single person here is an eternal being. They don't just die and that's it life's over completely, and um in the same way, you know that should be if we feel like we know you know that Christ has revealed to us um, you know what it means to have eternal life and what it means to know God and what it means to know uh, what happens after after our life here on earth, and we have uh you know all these people around us that are that don't know, you know we should be compelled to tell them about it, and yet so often we fall short, and so, and I would say, you know, if if you feel this tension in your life of, I know these things are true, I know the Bible is true, I know Christ raised from the dead, and he offers eternal life to anyone who would place their faith in him, as a gift, it's not even something we have to earn, and yet you say, okay, but I'm not sharing my faith regularly, I'm not talking with people, whether it be at the bus stop, or it be my family, or my best friend's you know, I I just, I don't bring these things up. I just, whether it's I love, I, you know, I don't want to mess up the relationship, or or you don't even have a relationship, but you don't want someone to think you're weird. Um, You know, you you don't, your beliefs and your actions don't necessarily line up, and so if that's the case, I mean, we're all there, you know. (laughs) I mean, I feel like I'm that way. He feels like he's that way. Um, Anyone in this room feels like, there that way, that there's this tension of how what you believe, how you know you should live, and then how you actually live. And so I would say, you know, especially when it comes to sharing your faith and uh, to proclaiming the gospel as boldly and clearly as Paul did, um, I would just recommend to get around people that you do look up to in that aspect. Um, you know, I can, I can think of uh, an example of that uh, that's not spiritual really, but uh, there's a man named Roger Bannister. Has anyone ever heard of this guy? No one? No no runners in here? All right, I saw Cole. Cole nodded his head. Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, yeah, the four-minute mile barrier. And so for over 100 years, uh, you know, no one thought a mile could be run in four minutes or under four minutes. And even doctors came out and said, uh, your lungs will explode before you. Before before a man runs a four-minute mile, they just said it's it's not possible. And then Roger Bannister did it. I think he you know ran 3:59.7. In the next five years, 22 people ran sub-four-minute miles. And so it's just kind of this idea that you you have to see something to realize that it's possible. And I would say that if there are people that you know are just gifted or just studs or more bold than you are when it comes to talking about spiritual things I would get around them and um, I asked Nori if I could use him as an example and he said yeah but I'm not going to be there but uh, so he's not in here but uh, Nori's a guy who goes to church here and uh, he works for a ministry called College Golf Fellowship and um, you know so he spends time with college students that are on golf teams at U of H uh, Texas Southern, I believe, and a couple other colleges in the area, and, you know, he's playing golf with these guys. He's getting to know them. He's getting to ask them about their spiritual backgrounds, you know, if they have any interest in getting to know God better, things like that, and uh, he's good at it, but, you know, what's funny is that he'll play golf with people that aren't college students, and he'll do the exact same thing, so it's not because it's his job. It's because he loves what he's doing, and that aspect of his life, um, his beliefs and his actions line up a little bit better than most of us. You know, we, we look up to him in that aspect. And so I would say if you're a guy and you play golf, ask Nori to play golf with you. <laughs> Bring a couple friends, Let it, you know, watch him. Uh, you know, and, and he might ask a question and it might get shut down, and, and that was his evangelism for the day. But, uh, you know, I, I really think that in the same way of, you know, running the sub-four-minute mile, that sometimes we just have to see something be done even realize that it's possible. I mean, I can think of so many examples. Um, you know, I've, I've heard sermons about people and read in books of, about people sharing their faith on a plane, and I'm like, that's nuts. Like, who's gonna sit next to a stranger and and get to the point to where they're they're sharing with them the deepest things there are to life? And yet, uh, I realized it was possible when I sat next to someone who did it with the person one seat over. You know, and then and I just realized, okay, it's not that hard, you know, and it's not that weird. And you don't have to dive right in, but you, know, you can take a genuine interest in the person and eventually start talking about deeper things if they're open to it. And so, um, you know, I, I think not just, you know, about having the skill of uh of evangelism and knowing how it's done and knowing how to at least open up our mouths like Paul did, which opened up so many doors for him in this area. But, uh, you know, really the relationships we have, are we being faithful to point them towards Christ? And uh, I, got, I got a little personal example for me uh, to, uh, to tell as a story. Uh, this is my friend Sean McCleary sitting up here in the front row. Um, he's not from here. He lives in Jackson, Mississippi where he's a student, and uh, we went to school together. We went to LSU together, and uh, I guess we were hanging out with friends one night, and he just, you know, mentioned that he heard I go to church and asked if he could come, and I said, of course, I'd love for you to come, and um, kind of didn't expect him to come. It was, you know, we met at, <laughs> we met at 9 a.m., it was, I mean, mostly old people in the church, and uh, sure enough, you know, that Sunday, he was there, and he's wearing a collared shirt, and, you know, didn't didn't look like a goofy college kid, and um, I think for almost for a whole semester, he'd go to church with me. Man, we'd talk about the sermon. We would talk about, you know, I'd talk about what I'm learning in the Bible, kind of ask him his thoughts on things, and, uh, but at the same time, I mean, Sean would admit it that he had this little circle called his church life, you know, his new church life, but then he had this big circle that was his actual life, and, you know, he, he knew not to talk about certain things in his actual life that were at church like he was you know he wasn't dumb in that aspect but uh also I wasn't dumb in the aspect that I knew the guys he lived with I knew that there were a lot of drugs going in and out of that house I knew that uh you know there were always a bunch of beautiful girls hanging around him That I was like Sean who are these girls and he'd, he'd say oh you know they're they're just my friend you know and I'm like okay like just your friend that's why they're staring at your eyes for three seconds at a time but uh, you know there were a lot of things that uh, you know didn't didn't really add up, and uh, you know I think eventually maybe the semester ended, he, you know, or he found another church that he liked a little bit better. But uh, it, and you know the friendship kind of stayed in touch. But you know he went to med school, I went to uh, to Dallas after college, and uh, eventually I, I get a phone call from him, kind of random, and Sean tells me, you know, Will, like I was I was studying with these this new group of guys the other night and uh, they started asking me what I believed and, and started sharing with me. And we actually like opened up the Bible and just talked about stuff. And I was up till 3am the other night with them talking about these things. And, you know, well, I I think for the first time I actually believe and I want to follow Christ. And, you know, he said how, and he mentioned how, you know, when he was in college, he was far from God. And it was funny because, I mean, I was seeing him at church. I wouldn't have seen those far-from-God aspects, but, you know, he all of a sudden had conviction of sin. And, uh, you know, I, I just love the fact that he called me up and said, thank you for the role that you played in my life when you played it. Uh, I didn't really want anything to do with that when I was hanging out with you, but thank you for being faithful. And so, you know, I, I think that's a good litmus test, a good measurement of, relationships with people we have around us, you know, if they were to come to Christ, you know, if we're just someone who waters this plant, not really harvested, or even gets to see it harvested, would that person want to call us and say, thank you for pointing me towards God. Thank you for just talking about God in a positive way, showing that he's a good God, showing that Christ, living for Christ, uh, in today's society is possible. And, I mean, Sean's like the one good example story that I have to share. But, uh, I mean, I can think of so many people in my life that wouldn't call me up if that were the case. I mean, I see my neighbors twice a week and have small talk with them. And, I mean, if, if they were, and maybe they are Christians already, but, you know, if, um, if they were to open up a Bible and, and believe on Christ for the first time in their lives, They'd probably knock on my door and want to tell me about Christ. They wouldn't know. <laughs> they wouldn't know that I'm a Christian, and uh, because I haven't mentioned it, and, you know, I, haven't, I don't want to be weird. Although I've known them for six months, I mean, how weird is it to mention the fact that I go to church? Mention, uh, ask them if they have a faith. You know, it's really, it's not that hard. Um, and so, I think that that's a good kind of test for, you know, are we being faithful with the relationships? that God's put in our life? Like, are we at least pointing them towards God and not away from God? And uh, are we being a faithful witness? Not that we might never have the opportunity that Paul has to say, hey, you need to trust in Christ. You need to believe this, what I'm talking about. We might never get that far, but we can still be faithful uh, with the little opportunities that we have with those people. So moving on, a couple of verses down, let's look at... uh, everyone's responses. Um, so after Paul says in verse 31, uh, because he fixed a day on which he would judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, we then get to hear their responses. Verse 32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this later. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, arapagite means he was on the court. So, I think they had one out of 30 uh, want to believe and want to believe what Paul was saying. And really, these erophagites, these, these, these men on the court, uh, they were mostly Stoics and uh, Epicureans. So, Epicureans were complete atheists. They believed, you know, the expression, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, that comes from them. The Stoics um, were a little bit different. They were pantheists, so they believed in God. They believed God was everywhere. Uh, They were pantheist, I think is the right term for that. So, you know, God is in me, Uh, God is in Sean, God is in all of you guys, but, you know, he's also uh, in this drum right here just as much as he's in me. And so they they didn't believe in a personal God, and they they definitely wouldn't have believed that uh, God would come down. As a man, and so we see the responses. I mean, there's really there's three types of responses. Uh, first of all, some mocked, totally reasonable, totally understandable. Um, I mean, these people had seen people die. You know, they kind of lived in a society further back where you know if someone dies, they see them carted off, and, and you know they'd never seen someone raised from the dead. So you know, when, when some foreigner comes in and claims that God raised a man from the dead. Uh, to prove that he will judge at a later date, uh, they're going to laugh. They have no frame of reference for this. And uh, that's understandable. (laughs) And a lot of people in our society aren't going to have a frame of reference or that's going to be their natural response. It doesn't mean that Paul did a bad job or that he should have been softer or that he should have been harder. You know, Paul was faithful. They asked him, hey, Paul, what do you believe? He told him, and he was faithful to do what he was asked. And yet some mocked. Secondly, uh, some men joined him and believed. And so, I mean, I think this is amazing if you think about someone coming from a Stoic background or an Epicurean background to say, I believe this guy, you know, I believe uh, that Christ is the Savior. I want to be a Christian. You know, that's a big jump because, I mean, the, Paul's not from Athens. You know, he's not some, some big shot in Athens saying, let me take you under, his, under my wing. He's just this stranger who showed up. Um, and told this story and yet some did believe Uh, and then lastly (laughs) uh, and I'm kind of going out of order but uh, others said we will hear we will hear you again about this and so I I think that uh, you know I I really kind of interpret this as you know whoa this is this this is an interesting idea but you know I, I I wouldn't be ready to submit to that or to believe in that and it's kind of a kick the can down the road like I'll hear about this later. And, uh, you know, I I really feel like in my life that was me for so long. I just kind of said, okay, I believe in God. I believe in heaven and hell. And, um, but, you know, like I'm going to get right with God later in life. You know, I'm going to, you know, get married and have kids and, and make a lot of money and give a lot of money away. And, you know, me and God will be right. At that point at some point later in my life when i'd be a good person when i'm a good enough person feel good about myself but right now i'm in college and that's not my main concern being right with god and um i mean maybe some of you in this room are that way and uh and so a question that and i don't really want to recommend this as an evangelism tool but it is an evangelism tool it's a way to share your faith Uh, and a question i've been asked and i've heard people ask and i've asked it before but uh, it's, it's kind of this, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? And that's tricky. I mean, that's, a, but, okay, the evangelical, I'll just tell you the right answer. The right evangelical answer would be it's a 10 because I don't believe that my salvation is dependent on me being a good enough person. I don't believe that I have to earn Christ's favor. I believe that he lived a perfect life. And that salvation is a gift given to me. So I didn't earn it. So it's not dependent on me being a good enough person. And that Christ, perfect, I believe Christ was perfect. And I believe that his record of righteousness is given to me. And so, you know, the the right answer is 10. Realistically, do we really, are we just a bunch of 10s walking around every day? I doubt it, you know. <laughs> like, we have our doubts and stuff. But, um, you know, at the same time, I, I really feel like I kind of went through my life being a seven and not trusting in Christ, but saying, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a good person, uh, pretty sure I have integrity. I know, like, maybe later in life I'll be an eight or a nine once I, you know, meet some of my life goals and, and feel like I'm a good enough person. And um, and I would say that, you know, if, you're, if that's you, if you say, I want to follow God later in life, I want to know God later in life right now, my career is my most important thing right now. Uh, I just want to have fun, just be myself, enjoy myself. Man, I And and you would rate yourself as a six or a seven maybe, you know, like I'm a pretty good person, but I wouldn't say I'm, you know, following Christ or, or submitted to him. Man, I mean, I would really hope that you would turn from a six to a three, um, that you would see yourself for who you are, and that you would just have an uneasiness about you and the way you live and in, in, in your righteousness before God, that you would stand before God and say, God, this, these are all the good things I've done. Like, I hope this is good enough. Do you love me? And uh, for me in my life, I mean, I was 19. I remember the exact moment I was uh, going skydiving, and the plane was going up, and it was, you know, I would just gotten off a of vacation spring break my freshman year of college. And I remember the plane was going up, and I, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, like, if I die right now, I don't know where I'm going. And honestly, I think I had to get to that point to be able to see what Christ had done for me, to be able to cherish what Christ had done for me, to be able to see uh, just the value of what Christ had done for me. And uh, and so, if that's where you're at, I, I pray that you would see yourself the way the Bible defines you as not someone who was born neutral, you know, who gets to decide or you know, are you a good enough person? But as someone who's walking away from God since birth, and that Christ has paved a way for you to come back. So, in summary, um, you know, we can be like Paul. We believe the exact same things that Paul did. However, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to share your faith with strangers. It's hard to be bold in front of important people when you're brought in front of them. And uh, it's hard to bring, you know, to live a life of integrity. Uh, however, I really think the outflow of what we believe can shine you know, if we focus on those things, if we focus on the logic, uh, you know, Christian worldview logic of that we're all eternal beings and that we all um, have a purpose in life. Um, and we'll be okay with our shortcomings, and we'll be okay uh, with mixed results when we get laughed at, when, uh, when we try to share our faith with someone and sound goofy. Uh, we'll be okay with that. And, um, you know, lastly, uh, you know, we'll, uh, if we get mocked, we'll be okay and we'll be able to say, hey, I was faithful uh, for sharing the truth with all these people around me. Uh, So with that said, we'll go ahead and uh, enter into a corporate prayer. And so if you're new here, this is just group prayer. Uh, I'll start us off. But after that, uh, you know, We'll have different people, uh, as you feel led, to go ahead and pray out loud. And then Heath will finish us up. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for great examples in your word, like Paul, that can convict us. And, uh, and just the grace to know that when we don't do things right, when we're not perfect, when uh, our actions don't line up with our beliefs, that uh, we're in your family Lord that you're our father and that you love us and um, God I just pray that we would be compelled out of grace uh, to live lives of integrity to live lives where we would want to tell the people around us about the good things that we have Lord and uh, that we'd be convicted to live lives like this.